Welcome to the Proceedings Podcast. I'm Ward Carroll, the Naval Institute's Director of Outreach. Joining me is my usual co-host, the Proceedings Magazine Editor-in-Chief, retired Captain Bill Hamlet. Bill, how are you today, sir? Ward, happy Wednesday. Happy Wednesday. It's great, and it's finally stopped raining at least for five minutes. We've had quite the deluge oh my God, this, uh, this last few days, making up for a very dry July in a hurry. I'm expecting to see Noah's Ark coming up yeah. the, uh, the Severn here sometime. Absolutely. Right. And it, so you, you, your basement is still flooding there in Northern Virginia? Don't ask. <laughs> Bad subject? <laughs> okay. Sorry about that. Uh, I'm hoping not. Yeah, hoping not. Um, well, let's just jump in with our guest today. Uh, okay. I'm very excited. This is the first time that we've had uh, on the on the podcast uh, one of our winners of the annual Enlisted Essay Contest. And that essay contest um, this year was won by uh, Coast Guard Second Class Petty Officer Erica Rands Howard, who is a yeoman in the Coast Guard. She is currently stationed at the Coast Guard Surface Forces Logistics Center in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, Erica, thanks for joining us and um, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So your article uh, that won, and as I remind people whenever we talk about essay contests, that all of our essay contests are judged in the blind. Uh, I don't know if you knew this or not, but we had 89 entries this year, which is up from the previous year. So you beat out 89 other uh, authors uh, for this contest, uh, and um, uh, you're published in the proceedings issue, the July issue, and your article is called Break In Sailors, Don't Break Them. And you're specifically taking on the, the uh, practice of putting new sailors on a ship uh, on the four to eight schedule, the four to eight watch schedule. So tell us a little bit about that, that grueling watch schedule uh, and why you picked that topic to write about. Sure. Um, so before I enlisted in the Coast Guard, I have a psych background. I went to school and did my bachelor's in psychology. So I already knew a little bit of basic stuff about, you know, sleep deprivation and learning and memory. So that was just kind of, you know, the glass that I approached life through. And I enlisted in the Coast Guard and went to boot camp, and my first duty station was on a 378 or a high endurance cutter out of Charleston, South Carolina. And um, I got on the ship, and that was the first, you know, experience that I had. You know, I was immediately put on a double four to eight break-in schedule, which is exactly a standard uh, procedure for everybody who is new to the cutter. And um, I just remember it being a very, very difficult experience for me. I think a lot of people share, who've been through it, share the same feelings. And I just always remember thinking, like, I don't understand why we're doing this. Uh, you know, I, I feel like I'm too tired to learn anything. And I remember feeling that way for weeks and just thinking that it, I didn't understand why it had to be so difficult, you know, why we couldn't do this in a better way. And that really stuck with me the whole time that I was on the cutter. And, you know, I had issues that developed while I was underway because of being put on that schedule and I overcame them and they made me stronger which is you know always what you hope for but even now that I'm a petty officer I'm not a non-rate anymore I always thought like why do we do this that way and then you know when I was presented with the topic of the essay contest which is you know anything that you feel could be improved um, that was my number one you know experience that I think um, you know really could have been different 
real, that's a schedule that I don't think is necessary. So I just draw my own personal experience for that, and I'm passionate about it because I went through it. Got it. So tell us what your idea is instead of doing the double four to eight break-in. How would, how would you rearrange things if you had a magic wand and could rewrite the shipboard watch standing schedules on Coast Guard uh, cutters? Um, I mean, I, there's, um, you know, many different ways to do it. I'm not saying that any one particular way is the best, but I think the ideal way would be, you know, like a double 8 to 12. You know, I understand the necessity of being exposed to the watch um, at daytime and nighttime conditions. You know, you're presented with different challenges in each one. Um, the difference is that the 8 to 12 in the morning would be during the workday, and really non-rates aren't doing anything super critical like we're painting and sanding and you know organizing lines and nothing that isn't already uh, capable of being done by somebody else so if the person's on watch you know first thing in the morning till lunchtime then they can spend the rest of the work day and then they have dinner time and then after dinner they're on watch for you know from 8 p.m. to, to midnight then there's more time available for sleep and there's really not a whole lot going on on the ship after midnight unless there's a you know a drug case going on gotcha so this idea that the concept of sleep which uh back in in ward's time my time in the navy and i think still to many people are writing about it talking about the fact that uh you know in the in the services there's this sort of you know you'll sleep when you're dead uh and you know toughen up gut through it you know only the wimps need sleep right but we we're seeing particularly in the in the uh, wake of the Fitzgerald and McCain incidents last year and other uh, sleep deprivation caused uh, incidents uh, not just in the Navy and the Marine Corps but across the the force uh, that you know people are starting to pay attention to sleep and the requirement for sleep the need for it for your health the need for it for uh, for good watch standing, the, the requirement to sleep, to be alert, to give your best uh, performance, right? So, Absolutely. Uh, is, is this idea catching on in the Coast Guard? Do you, do you see, you know, echoes of this idea that, that you've uh, touched on? Is it being discussed uh, across the force at your level? Well, see, the funny thing is, um, and I always thought it was interesting, at the small boat stations, it's written into the manuals that if a, a boat crew, which usually can consist of like maybe three or four people, was up past a certain time, it's mandated that they get a certain number of hours of sleep afterwards. But that's only for a search and rescue small boat station. So somebody along the way thought, hey, it's really important that we make sure our search and rescue crews get enough sleep when they're operating small boats. But that never trickled into, you know, the large cutter manuals. Um, so I think the idea has been there. I haven't heard anything new about it. That's interesting. It's interesting that, you know, parts of an organization can say, hey, crew rest is really vital. It's key. It's key to safety. And then uh, I think this is also true in the, in the Navy, that there are parts of the Navy, the aviation community has, has you know, it puts a, a greater emphasis on uh, sleep before flying. Uh, but the, the surface Navy has not, tended to do that, but some people are writing about it. We've had John Cordell, one of our uh, frequent contributors to proceedings, has been writing about things called the 27 section duty, uh, about circadian rhythms and all those things. Um, so you mentioned that you had a, a degree in psychology and you had 
understood before joining the Coast Guard the importance of sleep. Uh, so tell us a little bit about you know your your understanding of that uh, that concept. Um, well, it's not only is um, sleep really necessary, like the lack of sleep inhibits learning, but sleep is also necessary for learning. So a lot of times, like best practices for studying in college these days, you'll hear your professor say, you know, study for a few hours, take a nap, and then go back. Because there's some kind of memory consolidation process that happens when you go to sleep. And if you're not sleeping, you're not doing that consolidation process, and you're not truly learning. And um, I highlighted a study in my article that showed that people who learned a new task and then completed the task the same day didn't show any improvement in the task, but people who were allowed to go home and sleep and then perform the task the next day showed an increased ability to perform the task. And, um, you know, just to prove that learning is not only important, but it's actually necessary, or sorry, sleep is actually necessary for true learning. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. On page 43 of your uh, your article in the July proceedings, uh, there's a couple points here about the, the study that shows that uh, the connection between mood, motor skills, and cognitive skills of sleep-deprived individuals, that, that all three of those things are impacted. Mood is impacted by lack of sleep, motor skills are impacted, and then the cognitive thinking skills and, and short-term memory also impacted by uh, by a lack of sleep and I've seen in other things I mentioned uh, John Cordell has written about proceedings the some of the other studies have shown the um, the impact of lack of sleep has the same some of the same impacts as as um, uh, being you know alcohol impaired right of having three or four drinks in your system and we don't let people fly or drive ships you know drunk why would we let them do the same thing when they're so impaired from a lack of sleep. Eric, another interesting element to your piece here is the negative reinforcement uh, part where you say, aside from the detrimental effects on a sailor's physical and mental health, the double four to eight schedule is founded on negative reinforcement. Negative reinforcement attempts to increase the desired behavior by rewarding the participant with the removal of a negative stimulus. In other words, New sailors, quote unquote, reward for becoming qualified is his or her watch station is getting taken off the harsh schedule. So this is we have a lot of conversations with the, our, our midshipman interns here about the Naval Academy and, um, you know, why being a plebe sucks and why it's good to be a firstie. And that reminds me of sort of the negative reinforcement of what are the elements of leadership? You know, why do you want to do, be a firstie not to lead? Uh, your your fellow midshipmen, but because the harassment quotient is lower, you know, and so that reminds me of uh, of that when I read that that paragraph or that that uh, section of your of your piece. So, do do you feel like the double four to eights were just part of the uh, new guy, new girl harassment package, or was there an operational necessity behind them? I mean, to be honest, I didn't, I couldn't figure out an operational necessity, and, and nobody really could give me. Um, a good one um, you know everyone just said that's the way it is and I went through it so you do too so for me it really rings true to the um, it's just it's the new guy it sucks to be the new guy that's that's really <laughs> how it felt it, that's how it that's how it comes across I've, I've really yet to hear like a, a really reasonable argument on why a double 4 to 8 is necessary versus something like a double 8 to 12 
But I think you also made a point that uh, if you're the new person, there are times during the day where it's uh, you're, you're more likely to learn from your fellow shipmates uh, when, while you're on watch, uh, learn skills and pick up you know ideas and and uh, knowledge. And the, the the four to eight watch is not a good time for that, right? Because most of the rest of the ship is still sleeping, getting up, eating breakfast, and so by the time they come on watch and you're ready to go down, uh, you know, there's there's no opportunity to, to overlap with them. Whereas the later in the day, if you're a newbie, you know, you have more of a chance to be mentored and to, you know, stand watch or, or be uh, influenced by people who are up and alert during their day and you're on watch and so you're learning from them. That, that kind of came through to me uh, in your article. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean... The military has a bunch of rites of passage. That's that's part of what what we're all about. Um, and it's as I get older, and my peers ask me about what is it like to be a plebe these days, and wasn't it much harder when we were plebes, or what is it like to go through flight school or be a junior officer? Um, you hear some of these same themes. Where that's what made me great at my job was was just this harassment. You know, in fact, I was talking to a guy um, from, I won't say exactly what year group, but uh, uh, he was mentioning that he was like physically, like the term he used was beat up during his uh, accession period. Um, and, and so you're, you ask him, so what did that do in terms of make you better? And the answer is, well, nothing really, but he took pride in the fact that he was beat up at that phase, right? And it made him something, you know, but... Like Bill said, as part of the after action, how did this happen with McCain and Fitzgerald? Sleep deprivation came up, and suddenly the talk of circadian rhythms and how do we make sure that we do not fall into this trap, this downward spiral of sleep deprivation. So now we start taking it seriously. So from your research, Erica, what is the fix sort of Coast Guard-wide uh, or maritime services, sea services wide? H- how do we guard against uh, just sort of getting into sleep deprivation just because? And, uh, uh, you know, wh- where can we avoid some of these, these problems? Um, I mean, I think that just making, like, making something a priority and being aware of it is half the battle. Um, it sucks that something bad has to happen before somebody will pay attention to why it happened, but kind of the nature of how things are so now that you know there's been these two major incidents that bring awareness to it I think that that's you know an important cause for change um what can be done I mean I think you know having ships be billeted the way they need to be you know operational readiness and having the the, the right number of people to accomplish you know the mission is probably the first step so that way nobody's undermanned and having to do more with less and then if we just change the culture of this is what's expected then you know I I think if we value somebody's sleep as part of valuing their health and part of their military readiness then you know watch schedules can accommodate you know making improvements and I think it can be done on a command level I don't think it has to be this um, giant push from like the commandant but if every commanding officer of a cutter makes it a priority then the change will happen in itself well last last fall in the navy after mccain and fitzgerald uh navy surface forces command 
did put out a message telling, essentially telling all ships that in, the, in a very short period of time they should go to a circadian watch rhythm, uh, watch, you know, battle, battle watch station, watch uh, bill, right, uh, to, to help start bringing in some of the science that, you know, sleep depri- deprivation studies have started to show that, hey, there, there really are some w- better ways to do this. Um, so we have this article that we published last year um, by machinist mate, Senior Chief Jay Holly, called "Let Our Sailors Sleep." Similar topic, right? But one of the things he is, he said is, uh, you know, it's it's always been after almost leaving the Navy as an unmotivated second-class petty officer, I learned never to settle for that's the way it's always been. Uh, and so he pushes in his article. He talks about how he pushed through on the carrier that he was uh, on, uh, working in the in the reactor department, that he was able to after some time convinced the department to switch to a circadian watch bill you know rhythm uh, and that made a, a huge difference it made a difference on morale it made a difference on performance uh, you know it, it it impacted the the watch standing prowess and and you know capability of the people on the ship because you know suddenly they had sleep suddenly they weren't walking around in a fog all the time but I think this also bears constant vigilance uh, so when we were at SNA, uh, some months after that recommendation was put out um, by SurfPAC, um, I heard a, a prominent uh, flag officer say, we need to train our junior sailors to work tired. So that scared me, actually, because it's sort of like, are we going back on this this uh, um you know, commitment to really bake in circadian rhythm savvy to our watch bills and, you know, our op tempo. Uh, it sort of said, it sort of said to me that like, look, we're done with this hobby or this sort of pop culture thing about circadian rhythms and just suck it up and gut it out as we always have. So, you know, all politics and all operational uh, execution is local. And, uh, you know, I'm sure Erica's worked for some good COs and some bad ones during her five-plus years in the Coast Guard. Um, so hopefully local commanders amend their uh, op-tempos to the point where you know people can get some sleep for training and for operational readiness. Because we've seen what happens in the form of, uh, I think, of the two mishaps. The Fitzgerald mishap was really a lesson in sleep deprivation. Um, McCain was more a lesson in systems knowledge. Um, but you know, we all we've all been there and felt it and gutted through. You know, I've stood alert fives on the flight deck at 2 a.m. and when I was totally not ready to go flying because I'd been up for you know two days. Um, so in some cases you do what you got to do, but in other cases, the machine has got to guard against that. You know, because you're going to do something stupid and, and potentially hurt somebody. You know, so this isn't an optional thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, for those who don't understand that, you know, what the difference is between a circadian watch bill and a standard watch bill that senior chief holly points out and this is just real quick uh a a circadian watch rotation conforms to a 24-hour work and rest schedule allowing individuals to work eat and sleep at approximately the same time each day so you get into a rhythm and your body is used to going to sleep at certain times of the day it's used to and that doesn't change whereas a standard three-section watch bill tends to be five on ten off 
So 15 hours, and 15 hours does not divide into 24 hour evenly in any way, right? So when you do that five on 10 off, five on 10 off, you find over a few days that you're going to bed at different times, you're working at different times, you're constantly moving your body in a different, so you're working at different times of the day, you never get used to a, a cycle, uh, and your brain, you know, it, it tends to have really deleterious effects on your sleep patterns. Deleterious? What does that mean? That's the word of the that, day. Oh, that's good. It's bad. So I, what we didn't do at the outset, Erica, is explain, you know, to Bill's point, can we diagram what a double four to eight is? Can you walk us through that? Sure. So um, we, the Coast Guard, and I'm not an expert in the Navy, so I don't know. It may be the same. It may not. Uh, the Coast Guard does four-hour watch blocks. So we have a standard work day from, um, I think it's like eight to four is probably about the standard give or take, maybe half an hour in either direction. So, and then the watch is in four hour increments. So an eight to 12, you know, eight in the morning till 12 noon, then 12 to 4 p.m., four to 8 p.m., 8 p.m. to midnight, midnight to 4 a.m., and then so on and so forth. So. That's how our watch stations are broken up. So if you're on watch, you're on watch for that four-hour period. And essentially what you're doing, um, depending on if you're an engineer or um, deck force, you're either going to be up on the bridge driving the ship or you're going to be down in the engine room uh, making rounds of equipment. So the double four to eight, you would stand watch from, they say four to eight in the morning, but the, the relief time is actually 45 minutes prior. So you come on watch at 3.15 and you go off watch at 7.15 and then they wake you up about 40, uh, about half an hour before your watch. So figure you're getting woken up at 2.45 in the morning. You can expect to be on watch from 3.15 to 7.15 in the morning. You have time to go eat breakfast and then you're gonna start your work day at eight and you're gonna work from 8 p.m. to 4 p.m. Maybe like 3.15 p.m. if you do the 45, uh, the 3.15. You mean 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. Right. Yes, that's okay. it. Sorry. Yeah. 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. And then you're going to be on watch from 3.15 p.m. to 7.15 p.m. And then after that, you're, you're going to have a break for, for dinner chow. And then you're going to do DCPQS. And then you're going to do flight ops until about 11. And then you might so grab three hours of sleep before they wake you up again at 2.30 to start it all over again. Correct. And that's if you can sleep. Because... I mean, you're so wired, you, you can't out, sleep. But sometimes yeah. you're going to be sitting there going, "Why didn't I join the Coast Guard again?" Because <laughs> <laughs> you love it. Yes, as you cry yourself to sleep. <laughs> Got it. Got it. No, that's nuts. That's that's yeah. really grueling. No, it's grueling, and that yeah. and and what a lot of people forget sometimes is that. Uh, in the middle of that watch period, right? So you're, you're working from 3:15 to 07:15, and you grab chow, and then you're then you have a work day. So you have your day job, your your non on watch time, uh, and then you're getting ready to go back on watch. And then, as you yeah, said, the when work you, day's over. yeah, and your work day's over, and you get off watch, you know, in the evening. But that's when you do all your quals, right? So that's the time when you've got your PQS to sign off and. You know, you're trying to find your chief or you're trying to find your division officer to get, you know, qual sign off or learn something. And and many of them are, are not working because they're getting ready for their watch. Uh, and so it's it makes it, as you're, you point out in the article, it makes it, it's, it's not just grueling on your body, but it's also difficult to get your quals because of you're off. You're kind of off when people are, are on on duty and vice versa. Right. Uh, so, you know, trying to find the people who are going to help you get your. PQS signed off 
they're not necessarily up at that time, so it's even double challenging. So how, how did this work with you uh, particularly? How did, how did your body react? How did your mind react? What, what do you remember from, from that grueling schedule? Um, I mean, if I can be blatant, like blatantly honest, there was a few times I wanted to like throw myself down a ladder well because then I'm like, oh, I don't have to get out of bed today. You know, I mean, it was... It was so really suicidal difficult. thoughts is what you're saying. Well, I wouldn't. I or just injurious thoughts. I didn't want to like kill myself. I just wanted to grievously like, injure yourself. Slightly injure yourself. Okay. Continue on. It was just, you know, I I struggled with the transition into the military. I was a little bit older when I enlisted. I was 24. Um, I wasn't young like my peers that were 18, 19, fresh out of high school. You know, I was coping with being in the Coast Guard, with leaving home, with leaving my life behind, and going to be, you know, the bottom, the lowest man on the totem pole, and it's a difficult transition to begin with, and then getting thrown into the schedule where you don't get to sleep, maybe not everybody reacts the same way to sleep deprivation, but I don't really handle it very well. Um, I, I don't. Function, but I'm not a happy no, I'm not I'm, a happy I'm, person. I'm grouchy. Yeah. And, um, most most people do not. Me. Many people yeah. claim that they do, but yeah. I, I mean, I've served some guys who are good at it, but I do not. I'm not good, right? Yeah, so, I mean, it, it definitely affected my mood. I, I would be quite honest that I spent a lot of time crying and wondering, like, what what did I do? Why did I do this to myself? Um, and and, th- and that in turn, I mean, obviously, you're you're sort of. Uh, as you're trying to make an impression in a new command, that doesn't help, right? Um, not at all, no. It, it yeah. didn't really help. Um, I was not, you know, a gung-ho, brand-new sailor. I, you know, didn't walk around with a smile, and I, it, they could have dropped me off at the next port. It's a good thing I didn't have my passport with me because I may have left. So it was pretty, for me, it was a very difficult experience. And so this was, not to get too personal, but, you, you know, you're, you, you have education before you join the Coast Guard. Why did you join? Well, I got out of school in 2011, and it was still when the housing collapse was, um, you know, yeah. still affecting the job market. And, you know, I, I'd known I'd wanted to join the Coast Guard while I was in college, but I thought I would go in as, like, an officer route, but people weren't leaving. So CS was closed. You know, they were picking mostly people who were prior enlisted, and just like the law enforcement, military was always part of my life. It's like my family business. So, you know, I was like, well, I'll just go enlist. I'm not doing anything better with my time making $10 an hour. So let's do this. And then, you know, my goal was to, you know, see how I liked it and then to make the rest of the decisions from there. So at some point you get through that grueling double four to eights. You get qualled. Uh, what was your job on the ship or jobs on the ship? Um, I was a non-re. Um, for us, that's just somebody who hasn't gone to A school, so, you know, the, that E2, E3 uh, range. Um, and what did they have you doing on the ship? Painting, sanding, uh, mess cooking, just, you know, the, yep. and, the and, bottom of the bottom. And what kind of watches did you stand? Um, I was on the bridge, so I did, um, you know, I was driving the cutter and then on the fly bridge uh, doing lookout. Got it. So did... did you feel more like part of the crew and did your attitude and mood improve after that the first uh you know fng phase um no not really because i think that i had a lot of people upset with me um like you it's actually funny that you brought up like 
how people perceive you even during that time, even if they can relate to what you're going through. You know, I had gotten in arguments with people. You know, I think there was one day we were in the cruise lounge and instead of working that day, because I think we had some rough seas outside, they're like, we're going to watch a movie, Master and Commander, and call it like a teaching thing. So I'm sitting in a dark room watching a movie, knowing that we're not really doing anything important, and I fall asleep. And my BM3, you know, smacks the back of my chair and yells at me to wake up. And that happens about three times because I can't wake up. And then we proceed to get into a loud verbal argument because he hit the back of my chair again, and I didn't think he should be doing that. So I had already, it had caused problems within, with my leadership. So my relationship was strained with them, I would say, until a few months after. Yeah, so so you you basically because of this uh you know double uh double watch bill, double four to eight watch bill, you know, it brought out the worst of of you know, how you would react to no sleep, which in turn gave you this reputation that was um not the best side of you. Uh and that Correct. became sort I, of a self fil- um, fulfilling prophecy. Was- Absolutely. It was definitely not, I was not my best me. You know, I was enlisted person of the quarter in my unit this, you know, this year. And, you know, I'm an overachiever and a perfectionist and I like to do things and go out of my way and be the best that I can be. But it definitely wasn't, um, it definitely wasn't my shining uh, Coast Guard moment. Yeah. So you, you think if you were able to do a more reasonable, less sleep deprived initial, you know, introduction to the cutter, uh, that maybe you would have been able to be your your better self, and and that in turn would have benefited the Coast Guard more, um, and so forth and so on. Absolutely, it, it's really such a it, it, the ripple effects are so strong, and there's plenty of people who have been through it who may not have struggled with it as much as I did. Um, I take pride in the fact that I came out of it, and I can do my best to try to make it better for other people. Um, well, was there anybody after, on the ship going through it at the same time? I mean, did you have a peer group where you guys could sort of console each other and prop each other up? Um, I mean, there were other people going through it, but I just, I mean, I felt I felt very alone, you know, and that could have been perceived just by, it could have just been something that I perceived to feel, or it could have been true because of how people were reacting to me and how I was reacting to them. And Yeah, so yeah. it was divisive. It wasn't a bonding experience. Correct. And okay. then, you know, I... I had to go outside my department to find people to relate to and just overall I think the transition could have been a lot more positive starting from there starting from the watch schedule and feeling welcomed rather than abused so um, at what point do you think uh, things got your attitude or your your feelings uh, about the idea of staying in the Coast Guard a little longer improve and, and what do you think your future holds with respect to your Coast Guard status? Oh, my current feelings or when did they change? Well, overall? both, both. Oh, um, well, they really changed after I went to A school, so we decommissioned my cutter. It was, you know, we were the last crew and um, I think my we had a new supervisor come in and I think he really noticed that, like, my strengths were probably not with sanding and painting. Um, I really like using I really like thinking about things. I like being like hands-on, not so much hands-on, but more cerebral about the work that I'm doing. So they needed help in the ship's office with, you know, PCS transferring 300 people and in and out and, you know, just all the the paperwork that 
that goes with that. So they put me in the ship's office, and that was a really big improvement because I felt that I was being utilized. My strengths were being utilized. And um, then the real big shift happened after I finally went to A school and you know became a petty officer and was able to, you know, be in a job that really fit me better. So describe what you're doing now at the uh, Surface Forces Logistics Center. Sure, I do uh, all things pay and personnel, you know, life insurance and travel and PCS transfer awards, retirements, you know. I'm in a lot of people's personal business and dealing with sensitive paperwork and sensitive problems and um, takes a high attention to detail and organization, and I really thrive in this position. And how long have you been there? Um, I've been here for about three and a half years now. And will you be ready to PCS soon? Uh, next summer. Got it. Do you know where you're going yet? I don't. I probably won't know until early next year. What do you want to do? Um, I'm not really sure. Um, I'm just going a, a couple months at a time at the moment. I'm, I'm, I'm open to different places and different units, but um, if you have too high expectations, you may be disappointed, so I'm just open. Got it. Got it. Good attitude. So uh, ultimately, uh, the, this story maybe has a happy ending, would we say? I would say so. I mean, I, I get told very often that, you know, I'm one of the best people, one of the best yeomen that my members have worked with and my command, you know, I have their full confidence and support. And I would say that I've turned out to be a productive member of the Coast Guard and I'm happy to be here and they're happy to have me. So um, it definitely didn't. You know, it didn't long-term affect, you know, my success in the organization. However, I think if you would have asked me at the time if I was planning to stay, I would have said definitely no, and that's, that's changed. Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, that I think we all have those stories. Um, you know, I know I certainly do. Um, so, I mean, you're obviously well-written and very articulated. I mean, articulate, and, uh, you know, I, here's hoping that uh, – the, the the Coast Guard, and again, I don't want to speak for the comment of the Coast Guard, but that the, the they do, in fact, uh, realize what they have in, the, in in terms of your talents and outlook. It sounds like it is it is working out, and that's that's great. I think the nation benefits from from that. Um, so, Erica, congratulations again for uh, for uh, the results in this essay contest. I'm curious before we uh, before we sign off. Uh, People in your chain of command, other people in the Coast Guard, has anyone reached out to you to congratulate you for your essay and, and your ideas? Oh my gosh, they actually, they really have. And it's been an incredible experience, to be honest. I never really felt like so many people would appreciate my thoughts and opinions. You know, I, I just was never really one to share them. And I've had commanding officers of small cutters email me. I had a visit from a three-star admiral. Um, I've gotten phone calls from two-star admirals. My my captain came and you know gave me um, his thoughts about the article and my research. And overall, the the response has been overwhelmingly positive, and I'm really grateful, you know, for everybody's positive feedback and just for even really caring what I have to say. Fantastic! The that, power of that, the independent forum. That's once a great, again. That's a great story. So, yeah. uh, our for our listeners, once again, our uh, guest today was uh, Petty Officer Second Class Erica Rands Howard, U.S. Coast Guard. She is the winner of the 2018 Enlisted Essay Contest. Uh, her article is called "Break In Sailors, Don't Break Them." It appears on page 4243 of the July issue of Proceedings. And I'll just say that we uh, on the staff um, 
were very happy when we opened the envelopes at the end of the judging of the contest. We were excited to see that all three sea services were represented in the winners. So Coast Guard winner, second place was uh, Marine, and third place was Navy this year. So uh, pretty exciting. And we're always happy when it's a, a enlisted uh, thought leader that wins as well. You know, we like to when all ranks, all, all, all warfare specialties involved in the independent forum. So that, that was good news as well. Well, this is the enlisted essay contest, so that was yeah. You know, all the of course all the enlisted. entries were. But enlisted. I mean, not a chief, right? Oh. I mean, d- that we have a petty officer. Yep, that's yep. what I meant to say. Right, th- th- there you go. What you See meant what to I say, meant, Ward? What Ward meant to say? <laughs> yeah. Well, Erica, thanks for joining us. Uh, it was great talking to you, and uh, we hope that you keep writing for proceedings, uh, keep entering the essay contests, and uh, I'll, I'll point out to. Uh, uh, our listeners also that the prize money for our essay contest is real. Uh, so first prize for yes, this. Yes, I got my check. How much See? was your check? Three thousand dollars. Three thousand dollars. There you bones. go. There you go. That beers on Erica yeah. when she comes visit, to visit us in There's Annapolis. Lots of fun stuff you can Absolutely. do in Baltimore yeah. for three thousand dollars. So that's good. Yeah. Good. Well, congratulations again, and thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for writing for proceedings, and we look forward to uh, seeing your name in the future. Thank uh, you so much for having me. Okay, Thanks, so sir. that was uh, Proceedings Podcast Episode 37, I think. Yes. Uh, and uh, we're very excited. I think our next guest is going to be right now, we're, we're uh, uh, negotiating with his staff to get him on the podcast, but we've got Fleet Master Chief Russ Smith, who is the interim or temporary MCPON, Master Chief Petty Officer of the Navy. Uh, we are hoping that he'll his schedule will allow us to get him on the podcast tomorrow, and we will then uh, post that podcast next week. It'll be our podcast for next week. Uh, next week is oh, we'll uh, Facebook Live it, and so, we will Facebook you know, Live it tomorrow. Follow uh, us on Facebook, like us on Facebook. It uh, next week's a busy week. Uh, people going in different directions. I will be in New York uh, for a, a visit with some people. Uh, who are Naval Institute fans next Wednesday. And, and I'll then be in Quantico at the Expeditionary Warfare School talking about our sponsored student program next Wednesday. Very cool. Our interns will be downtown at our CSIS event, uh, which is a Coast Guard With Commandant talking about uh, issues uh, that matter to the Coast Guard. The new new Coast Guard Commandant, Admiral Carl Schultz, uh, at the CSIS at the Maritime Security Dialogue on 1 August at uh, 10 o'clock in the morning. So yep. that kind of wraps things up for this week. Uh, Thanks for tuning in, and remember, victory begins at the Naval Institute. See you next time.